I'm Catherine. And I'm Gail. And welcome to Women Over 70 Aging Reimagined Podcast, our award-winning weekly podcast. Please visit womenover70.com and consider joining Aging Reimagined Circle, our membership sustaining fund, so we may continue to inspire women with to age with curiosity, courage, and creativity. Members enjoy free monthly programming and probing discussions. We hope to see you there. And today we're delighted to be talking with E. Beverly Young. Thank you for having me. Um, I was in policing for 26 years in the uniform. And then after that portion, there was a time I was out, out, of, out of uniform. And I'm still in policing law enforcement, so to speak, by not being uh, actually hired by a department. My time of police service was with the University Police Department. Uh, the police, the profession of policing, when I first entered in the early 1970s, was simultaneously welcoming and unwelcoming for women. The female presence was a welcome change to some. However, I remember not everyone embraced the change. I don't believe race and ethnicity were the issues, but gender definitely was. Ironically, the department was multiracial and being predominantly black. In order to understand a lot was what was going on in policing at that time, we have to understand some history here. To understand the mindset at the time, we can't ignore the influence of the military when looking at police culture. Traditionally, men entered the military voluntarily and by draft until the draft officially ended in January 1973. Ironically, I started policing in January 1973. Until 1994, women were not given combat assignments in the military. Women who enlisted were utilized in auxiliary capacities, and I don't mean that to be demeaning or subservient, but they were used to supplement what the, what the males had to do in the field. When you compare auxiliary status of women in the military with uh, within the context of policing, there were many men who believed women who became police officers would serve best as community relations officers or in the radio room, which was called the communications center, but not in the patrol capacity where there was an expectation that they would have to back up a male officer. I was able to diversify my, um, my experience in policing by serving during those 26 years, I served in um, staff services and training, administration, research and development, patrol and communications. I was able to advance in rank from police officer to sergeant after five years and to lieutenant after 12, being the first female lieutenant in that particular department. But I don't want to uh, send a mixed message here that it was a cakewalk. It was not. I believe, and back then, I'm sure I didn't know anything about social change or even know the terms. I don't even know if they were popular at that time. But I promote that change requires people to not only embrace and acknowledge or accept the need to modify their behavior and thinking, but change requires action action. There were challenges that I faced based on stereotypes about women. 
entering a male profession and their ability to serve in leadership roles over men. And that was one of the challenges that I had uh, when I became sergeant. Some The rumors started that uh, men didn't want to be supervised by a woman. But, you know, you, you have to look at something. I guess if we look at now as, as you can look back and, and, and examine some things, women have been more in charge than men really probably want to admit. Back then in the 70s, it was probably that not that uh, prevalent, but many families today are being led by women because they're single parents. You have even in even when it's not a single parent, you have the 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 husband or the father who's working two jobs. So who's home managing or leading the household? But the but women. So but you, you get it. You get into the into the workforce, and and people don't necessarily want a woman to give them orders, so to speak. I'm not that I was barking orders, but if there were things that had to be done, they just had to be done. I, it didn't matter to me it was a male or female. I just needed it done. So that was one challenge. And of course, the stereotypes that they give about women entering a male profession is that, you know, we're husband hunting. Okay. And 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 we're distraction. Well, it all depends, depends on your mindset. I did not join the police force to look for a husband. Even though there were some fine-looking men there, I didn't go there for that purpose. <laughs> okay, my departure from, from uniform did not remove me from um from policing and law enforcement. I left because of, of, of physical challenges that I was beginning to have as, as my body was maturing. But what I what it allowed me to do was to change my focus to training and curriculum development instead of being in uniform service. I accepted a position with the with the Commonwealth and I went there as a trainer and curriculum developer for a couple of years and I advanced and I uh, was promoted to a position of leadership um, where I was able to advance and to add to my knowledge base um, things about standards and certifications regarding police officers, which I did for 13 years before retiring. So in total, I was with the state for 15 years. I, I still remain in, in policing and law enforcement today, say on the, on the periphery by being a, a, a course developer and I also review content of in-service courses that various um, companies similar to myself will actually create. You know, we're looking for a lot of things when it comes to to course content. Uh, we want the course to have objectives that are are measurable and and <laughs> that people really can't expect to to meet when the training's over. We need individuals engaged in the training. In other words, can't just be a talking head. We need every aspect of learning to be touched. The visual learner, the one who hears best, the one who does, uh, who is hands-on. We need all of that uh, incorporated in, into, into the training environment. And a lot of the courses that I review are online and not in person. I do, um, if I if it's in person, obviously I'm there and I can I can experience it. But in, in reviewing the course, I have to take the online course. And of course, there's also a social, social, uh, social cultural um, aspect that I have to have to look out for to make sure that with the depending on the on the course subject and even it's not even the course subject so much. Is it going to does it discriminate in any way in language um, and in stereotypes? 
uh, about men, women, races, whatever. So I have I have to look for that as well and, and to confirm that that doesn't um, exist in the training. Beverly, may I ask a question when you, because uh, I also want to have you talk a lot more about your 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 writing and your speaking out about racism and and sexism. But can you? I was wondering. I know you went, but you went back to get your doctorate. Yes. And I'm wondering if if what you were studying in your doc your PhD program was informing your your work in curriculum development design. What was the connection between your your um, doctoral studies and your police work, if any? Well, yeah, I, 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 the, the connection I see now is that it caused me to really dig, not to just take things at, at face value, but to really dig, not to necessarily try to understand behavior, but to, but to see where it started and see what I could do maybe to, to change people's thought processes about race. Let's face it, every environment I go into, um, I take my race with me. Okay. I take my gender with me. I take I take the 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 notion that I'm not necessarily going there to be accepted in general, but but I want them to accept that I'm bringing some knowledge that um Yes, I've gone through the the academic side because a lot of people before evidence based policing became the 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 um, the the push for right now, people would look at me as academic. My experience was 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 nowhere as far as they were concerned. I was an academic. I was walking in there with a doctorate degree, so there was no way in the world, no way in the world, I had any any practical experience. Uh, a personal experience in, in any issue I was discussing. But now that evidence-based, people are now seeing the connection between research. In other words, you have to live for today. Your practices can't be based on 20 years ago. What worked 20 years ago, uh, I'm not saying throw it out, but is it applicable to now? And and and, and now they're looking to the academicians to, to, to identify that. So I, I think, I think, being able to uh, be meticulous and, and, and very before, and 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 challenging what I read. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm to the place now. I just don't read one source and say, "Okay, that works." No, no. What what are other people saying about this? What are other people experience? So that's that's what I was able to 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 transfer in, 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 into what I'm doing now. So, uh, Beverly, where? Um, what, first of all, what made you go into policing in the first place? <laughs> well, where, where were you in, you know, as a police, where, a police person? Where were you? Okay, well, my uh, bachelor's degree is in classical music. <laughs> I did not expect you to say Makes that. sense. <laughs> <laughs> I um, I had begun uh, playing violin. Uh, I was in the fourth grade, and I continued playing violin. In high school, I switched to viola. It was viola that got me the scholarship to attend uh, college. And that's that was my dream at that point, to become a, a classical musician. I, I really did not want to teach. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and it's funny you should say that because that during that time, I even saw a difference in how uh, the, the the College of Music, not necessarily the College of Music, but my, my uh, instructor, um, taught me 
to 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 hone my technique and my style as a violist, he taught me different than he did the male students. He was more he 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 pushed the male students. He didn't push me as much until I told him, "I want you to push me. I I want to be challenged. I want you to push me. I don't want to. I don't want you to accept any old any old thing I bring. I want you to push me." And which which he which he honored to some some. <laughs> some reason guard probably probably not as much and and um i i also believe and it's just my opinion that uh during that time as, as well as today male instructors will tend to push male students more than they will female we we, we, we still we still have we is that still a struggle with women still a struggle with women no i have not done any research and talked to other students but i still think it's a struggle with women as as we have a male instructor as to whether he will 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 give you the the inside scoop on a lot of things that he might do with his male his male students. Okay. So that's that's how I wound up in police. I needed to work. Oh. <laughs> you know, speaking of dreams, so your your first early dream was to become a classical musician. Yes. You went into policing, you were very successful there. You went on to get a doctorate. And I think at one point you were imagining that you would be um, full-time faculty somewhere. Was, is, is that, am I remembering that correctly? Yes, that's true. That's true. So, that's it. I had that dream. So you're a person who can, who can dream and you can adapt and, and, um, and make the changes you need, you know, make changes you need to make. So. Yes, that's yes. great. So tell us about your writing. You're you're writing books. You're writing blogs. You are speaking out. Um, your latest book is called "Social Change Is More Than an Oops." <laughs> okay. What are you talking about? What are your messages? Okay. Um, my message. I'm I'm, I'm going to do this in two parts here. My message in my book is that, well, first off, Social Change is More Than an Oops actually is a sequel to my book, You Know It So, which I published at the end of 2020. I don't know if you can see uh, pictures in, in the background there, but I, I, I published a book of blogs. There were a lot of things going on in my life personally, as well as things going on in society. Uh, 2021, in fact, my blogs were being written in 20 and 2020 and 2021. As you know, 2020 was the year of the pandemic, where it seemed like we were just really cut off from society. We weren't um, interacting with people. The only way we're interacting was, say, like now. Um, I lost a lot of teaching opportunities because the the training I had scheduled had to close the facility to any outside uh, vendors. Um, really because of the pandemic. So, you know, and, and after the pandemic, or at least at least it was open more for people to go inside, I had lost I had lost a lot of those contacts and a lot of those contracts, and which was not their fault. They just couldn't they couldn't determine, they couldn't predict what was going to happen when it came to other people who come inside. So I I I believe in 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 heading off catastrophe. Let's face it, change usually occurs because it becomes an obvious need after there's a catastrophic event. I promote the idea that things occurring in front of us on a daily basis that need to be addressed 
also need to be ended to lessen the potential for catastrophe. One of my quotes, and it's, it's something I've said, I created, when you don't speak up and out against wrong, you become complicit in the destruction. So, you know, somebody has to say it. Do I expect everybody to embrace it? No, but I'm still going to say it, merely because it's coming from me. A woman who has worn this skin color for a lot of years, this gender for a lot of years, who has um, probably been excluded from conversation because I was not positioned properly. I was not positioned properly. Um, I, I, I like to deal with social issues because, and I guess in particular race more than gender because of the, the racial divide in this country. You know, we have we have foreign nations looking at the United States as as at one time the role model for democracy. But yet and still, we have people don't like each other because of race, because of where they originated from, because of the language they speak. We have people who are hungry, but we 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 promote our nation as a rich nation that welcomes people to come here. Is this what they're going to come to? I'm not saying people are going to stop coming. I'm not saying that. But you, you have to think as a foreign nation, uh, is that where I want to wind up? Or do I just want to be dropped there? Like, you know, out of a plane or something. But so, you know, I, I have to deal with it. Race is visible. And, and that's what get gets attacked more frequently within a multicultural society. I have to use levity because one problem I see in some cases is that some people just take themselves too seriously. I'm not one to throw the race card when I believe some members of our society are just simply stupid and willing to admit and unwilling to admit that they might have ancestry roots to African country, country, African nations, I'm sorry. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. We are more connected and related than we think or want to believe. And because of that, I think that's why there's such an uproar and why this nation is divided. So I, 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 I'm going to continue to address it. I'm going to continue to address it. I believe in presenting evidence. So sometimes for me, evidence turns out to be whatever transparency I can bring based on my own experiences, anything I can interject into the conversation. I guess discussing controversial or sensitive topics offers a broad field of, of inquiry for me, it, but it all depends on the topic. Some topics I choose to avoid and leave to the mental health and behavioral scientists to address. I do not believe that my experience as a police professional qualifies me to step directly into some issues or behaviors. I realize that the policing profession is considered a, a sociological, sociologically focused. As a sociologist, so, yeah, sociologist, I'm sorry, I've always tried to understand and possibly interpret behavior within the context of where society is within its thinking. Let's be clear about something. 
I said, understand, not justify. There's a distinct difference between the two. I I made a statement in my in my latest book. Um, I don't care about color. I interact with people. I want them to accept me for what I bring to the table. This is just how I operate. Don't look at me as a black woman or a woman who is brown skinned. Look at me as someone with specific ability, unique to me, the person. When I meet and greet, I meet and greet the person, not the color. So that's why I feel comfortable talking about talking about race. I said, I don't, I, don't, I don't expect it to be accepted, but I can still talk about it. <laughs> Do you have a podcast or are you thinking about starting one? Well, I, I've, I've been a little delayed in, in getting my story. As a matter of fact, I was supposed to start my podcast in February. But, you know, I don't I don't uh, I don't mind pushing things back to make sure it's right. Uh, yes, I, I hope to have um, a podcast started. And, and um, my podcast, when I introduce it, I started with a statement and a question. We are all in the mix. Whose foot is really in the room? I want to spotlight inequity because of race, inequity because of gender, inequity resulting from group thinking, not necessarily mob mentality in some instances, but group thinking. I want to create dialogue. I believe race, age, gender are only a concern when no one is willing to speak your name in the room. The main emphasis behind my podcast, we're all in the mix. Whose foot is really in the room? And I want to uh, uh, piggyback on something, you know, um, there's significance to what I say. If somebody has to be willing to speak your name in the room, if no one is willing to speak your name in the room, you don't get the opportunity to be heard. I, I need viewers to define the room to mean how some members of society get positioned to use their voice for change depends on who is willing to break down the barriers to allow change to happen. Speak my name in the room so I can come in. Secondly, I want listeners and viewers to understand that when you are willing to speak my name or the name of someone who looks like me, socially, emotionally, psychologically, you are acknowledging your commitment to social change because you are embracing the importance of diversity that includes hearing from a variety of voices. Plain and simply, your voice becomes the catalyst to knock down and possibly remove barriers which have grown into fortresses stacked against women and people of color. That's that's the vision for my podcast. It's <laughs> a powerful vision. Absolutely. <laughs> so do you do you will, will you be having guests? Will you be inviting people to be in dialogue with you? What's the what's the format that you have in mind? Okay, so I will be I'll be inviting guests. Um I'm going into the religious community, I'm going into the academic community. Um I I'm I'm thinking it's I'm really betwixt and between while well, I'm going to ask anybody in policing because of the 
uh, the bad publicity that police have at this point. Um, and, you know, there's nothing wrong with the profession. In every profession, there are people. Every profession needs people in order to exist. There are some people who just are in the wrong profession. And by the time they realize they're in the wrong profession or the profession realize that person shouldn't be there, something's already happened. And um and, and we haven't but I'm I'm I might be doing some um monologue, so to speak, but for the most part I'm 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 inviting guests of all ages. Well please let us know when this is so we can help uh, promote it, help spread Thank the you. word. Thank you. Is, is there anything else, Beverly, that you would like to say about your own you're seventy-four, I don't know if I mentioned that before. Yes. Um, do you think about your own aging? Do you are you experience how are you experience experiencing the aging process for yourself? Well, I look at the aging process as um, a period of seasoning. You know how when you cook, you 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 put the right right ingredients in it, you season it properly for it to taste like something in the end. Now, for fifty years, um, the seasoning has been added that has brought me to where I am today. Uh, going forward, I don't see gender and, and, and race as being the issues more than they have been during the 50 years. I see age as an issue. Um, it's, it's funny. I, I had to laugh the other day. I said, you know, if somebody would have asked me for a resume, do I even have one? I, I stopped writing them. I, I stopped writing them. And, and, and I know now that because I am the age that I am, and I've never put my age in my in my resume, my CVs, but I know that now certain dates have to even come out. I can't, I can't even really put the date of my degrees anymore. I can indicate I have them, but I can't even put the dates in my degrees. I think it's a 15-year um, uh, window that that you know, you're supposed to focus on. But um, I said, if somebody would ask me for a CV right now, <laughs> that would be a challenge for me to, to actually sit down and actually write because I have to make sure that I focus on my career accomplishments and and not um, not the fact that I've, I'm at the age that I am. Let's face it, if I were to put the date of my bachelor's degree, people would be able to put two and two together and come up with at least three and a half <laughs> that, um, that I'm, I'm probably older than 50. So I just... Um, but I say I just I think going forward because because I, I think I because I walk into a situation probably very unfairly with the expectation that you're going to see a woman of color and they're going to see um, uh, a woman who has some years on her, even though I really think for my age, I look good. <laughs> OK, but, you know, if, if I put dates and your face when you fill an application, you have you have no choice but to put dates. Um, you know, I, I don't I don't want them to see that as as um, a drawback to what I'm capable of doing, because I'm always going to challenge. I'm, I don't think I've, I don't think I've gone through a year that I haven't challenged somebody. And I'm, I'm going to continue that. I'm going to continue. I, I do that with my with my doctor. Unfortunately, as people age, they retire. So I was given a new doctor who I think is half my age. And the one thing I said to her the first time I met her in person, I said, you know, I can't control people retiring. I can't control that you're younger, but this is my requirement. I want you to listen to me. I don't want you to look at my age and say, 
in a few years, she'll be dead. I don't want, I don't want that to happen. I want you to listen to me. When I come to you telling you about some new pain I had that I didn't have yesterday or the week before, and I, and I can't put it into medical terms for you, I want you to listen to me. That and, seems and, to be and, your message for just about everything, doesn't it? <laughs> listen <yes>. to me. <laughs> be heard. Speak out. It's just a perfect fit with the, the mission of our women over 70 as well. So, yes. Beverly, thank you so much for being with us today and for just, just your um, your way of expressing your, your thoughts and your views are eloquent. Thank you. Thank Moving. you. Thank you. Thank you. Listeners, thank you for your loyalty. Because of you, our numbers keep growing all across the country and overseas. And this is a good thing. Still, we need more subscribers and reviews on Apple Play and YouTube. Support women over 70 and let your voice be heard. Help us change the conversation about women aging. Music